Good morning, fellowship. It is so good to be with you as we continue our study of the book of Ruth, one of my favorite books of the Bible. You know, it's such a powerful and beautiful picture of God's sovereignty, of his compassion and his love. And in fact, anytime we get together as a family of faith like this, you know, it's a great opportunity for us to deepen our understanding of who God is and what he does. And so to that end, hear from Psalm 84. For the Lord God is our sovereign protector. The Lord bestows favor and honor. He withholds no good thing from those who have integrity. O oh, Lord of heaven's armies, how blessed are those who trust in you. Let's stand and celebrate this together. Let's declare his goodness. You are good, you are good, when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love, on display for all to see. You are light. Darkness closes in. You are hope. You are hope. You have covered all my sin. It's good news, isn't it? Let's celebrate that. You are peace. You are peace. When my fear is crippling, you are true. You are true. Even in my wandering, you are joy.
seated. Check this out. In our community, there's a lot of pain. We're seeing working single mothers living out of their cars, desperate to provide for the basic necessities of life. Children who don't know where their next meal is coming from and whole neighborhoods struggling to get through the day. The world we live in is far from perfect, but that's why we've been called to love. Now is the time to rally together and create lasting change for those living in poverty in Northwest Arkansas. The Samaritan Community Center gives whole families the tools and help they need to go from just surviving to actually thriving. What people don't know is, Samaritan was established by a community group from Fellowship Bible Church in 1989. By 2002, the center had become a standalone nonprofit with a mission to serve the hurting and hungry. Fellowship gifted Samaritan their current Rogers Center in 2003. As the need in Northwest Arkansas has grown, so have the programs that are designed to lift people out of poverty, hunger, and pain. Today, there simply isn't enough room to keep expanding and meet the distress our neighbors are facing. We believe the timing is right, and the Lord has called us to invest even further in our community. Now is the moment to give and provide a sustainable future for this amazing organization. So here's the plan. Samaritan Community Center is going back to its roots. Fellowship has provided the land and we want to help them build a 40,000 square foot facility that will serve Northwest Arkansas for generations to come. This new facility is designed to address unmet needs in the community, including expanded dental, counseling, and case management services. Collaborative space for community partners will provide ease and efficiency for clients to have their needs met under one roof. The new farm will give families access to healthy foods while providing Samaritan with sustainable income. Let's reflect the love our Father shows us and give in the Spirit. Together, we are building to thrive. Well, good morning, Fellowship Bible Church. So glad to be with you this morning. And it looks like a lot of you are sick of your family and wanted to come to church. And so, hey, I see a lot of people sitting in the back. Hey, ushers, I've seen a lot of seats right down here. If you wanna bring them down to the front, we'd love to have you. If you are our guest today, we wanna say a very special welcome to you, and we'd love to get to know you. You can do that two ways. One, just scan the QR code on the screen. There's an I'm new button on our website. You can fill out some stuff. We'll get back with you. Or just come out and meet us in the foyer at the central booth. We would love to say hello and hear about you and your family. Hey, I wanna make you aware of a few things that are going on at Fellowship. You just saw a video about the Samaritan Community Center. You know, we've been praying as a staff and with our leaders, what is the future of the Fellowship Rogers campus and congregation? And one of the assets that we have here on Pleasant Grove Road is we've got land. And land is running out in Northwest Arkansas. So we started praying, what do we wanna do with this land? And we wanted to use part of it to reach those who are under-resourced. So the Samaritan Community Center is coming home. And in the future, a facility will be, will be built on the east side of our, pro, our property with a four-acre farm that will be here to reach the unresourced. Is that exciting or what? 
Man. Samaritan Community Center started out of one of our community groups, and we're so excited to welcome them home. Hey, we want to invite you to participate. You can participate by serving at the Samaritan Community Center, and you can also participate by giving to this project financially. Right now, Samaritan Community Center has a $5 million matching grant. So every dollar you give will be doubled. They are out in the foyer, or you can go to the web address you see on the screen, and we'd love for you to jump in on this campaign. Amy and I are jumping in, and we'd love for you to join us. Hey, another announcement. If you're one of our older members, and I'll let you define that, Next week, we have a legacy gathering at 9.30 in the Family Center, so right after the eight o'clock service. Um, come and join us. We'd love to have you there. And I wanna introduce you to my friend. This is Stuart Horner. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. You may notice that Stuart talks a little different than us. Um, Stuart is from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and he is one of our global workers. And so Fellowship has a work that is going on in Belfast. And Stuart, we're so glad to have you here Share with us what's going on at C.S. Lewis Institute. Well, Sam, it's great to be here. So I'm part of the C.S. Lewis Institute, which was set up in Washington, D.C., and it's now in 17 cities throughout America, Toronto in Canada, and Belfast. And it took, 2016 was when it came to Belfast, which is the home of C.S. Lewis, but you know, it took two retired eye surgeons from Northwest Arkansas to bring the C.S. Lewis Institute to C.S. Lewis's hometown in Belfast. So Royce and Susan Johnson, uh, from your Fellowship Bible Church here, they came and set up the, the fellowship, or set up the C.S. Lewis Institute in Belfast in 20, 2016. Yeah, Royce and Susan did not retire. They redeployed. They moved to Belfast and set up the C.S. Lewis Institute, and it's, it's been going for, this is the sixth year, right? Sixth year, yeah. Sixth yeah. year, and then they met Stuart, who yep. is a lawyer yep. from Belfast, and convinced him to do something crazy to leave his law practice and run the institute in Belfast as Susan and Royce came home. And so you're the city director now. That's true, yeah. Yeah, so give us an update of what's going on there. Yeah, so the C.S. Lewis Fellows Program, it's a year-long intensive discipleship and apologetics program, and it's designed for people to go deeper into their faith. And the idea is that we will uh, create disciples of Jesus Christ of heart and mind who can articulate live out their faith in Jesus Christ and express that in ways to others and to grow together in community. We're interdenominational, so lots of different churches uh, are represented there. So we have somewhere between 24 and 40 people go through the program every year, and it is a mentored uh, spiritual journey that they walk alongside this journey uh, with, with a mentor for the year. And we've had great help from Fellowship Bible Church uh, because one of the great features of the Fellows Program is each month we have a lecture on a different theme, and we get great speakers from Northern Ireland, because there are some great speakers in Northern Ireland, not me, obviously, but we get... Bono, great... is Bono one of them? Southern, no. he's Southern. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> from Northern Ireland and, and Ren Collective, any Ren Collective fans? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Ren Collective's Northern Ireland. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so we've had folks, we've had great speakers from Northwest Arkansas. Uh, so a guy called Robert Cup. Um, He's fantastic, you should hear him, he's brilliant. Um, and then there's another guy, Mickey Rapier. Uh, he's pretty good too. Um, Sam and Amy Hannon, great as well. So they've been over twice and they're coming over to see us again in May. Yes. Uh, we've also had, we're also looking forward to Karen Trumbo coming across to speak to us and Sue Addington's been across. Nick, Nick Rowland, <laughs> yeah. Nick Rowland has, I've just met him backstage because uh, twice we have invited him, twice we've had pandemic, 
Twice he's had to do it via Zoom rather than be with us in person. Uh, but we are so grateful for the support that you give us, not just uh, through your great speakers that you send, uh, but also from your congregation, people like Royce and Susan and their friends and you guys who have been supporting us. So thank you very much. Yeah. Hey, how can we keep partnering with you? What's the need? How can we help you? Yeah, so we just want you to continue to pray that we will continue to gather those whom God is calling into a year of deeper discipleship with him so that we can be better disciples of Christ and to become disciple makers in our context in, in Belfast. So we appreciate your continued support in that. And, and we would love you to please keep sending these guys across to, to teach us uh, to go deeper in with Christ. Yeah, the mission statement says that we exist to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and what? The world. And so thank you for supporting C.S. Lewis Institute. Hey, Stuart, as we continue worshiping, would you read a scripture to us and pray for us? I will, I will indeed. Uh, let's hear the word of the Lord. It's from Isaiah chapter 25, verse one. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. Let's pray together. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Lord God, we're grateful to you that even when we were lost in sin and darkness and lostness, that you did not forget us, that in your faithfulness you sent your son Jesus to die, that we might live eternally with you. And Father, we're thankful that you did not, when Jesus returned to you, you did not leave us comfortless, but you sent us your Holy Spirit, who is with us even to the end of the age. So Father, we're grateful to your great, for your great faithfulness to us in our lives and for saving us and for continuing to develop us as your disciples by your spirit. Father, we're thankful for the great men and women that you're raising up here in Northwest Arkansas to be uh, your, your speakers and who speak your word and teach your truth. We pray for your blessing upon them. We pray for your blessing upon the authentic disciples that you have here who you continue to send out into Northwest Arkansas and the wider world. And so, Father, as we come to worship you this morning, thanking you for your faithfulness, accept our praise for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Everyone, this morning we get to do something really special. We get to celebrate life change. My name is Jack Roberts. I've been a ministry resident of fellowship here this year, working with FSM students, seventh through 12th grade, and now with our elementary students. Uh, this is Cooper Cothran. He's a freshman at BHS. If you need to know something about Cooper, he loves baseball. And so a lot of his weekends he spends doing travel baseball. But within the last couple months, Cooper's been talking with his family about what it would look like to publicly profess his faith in Jesus. And so that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. There's nothing special about this water. Really what baptism is, is an outward expression of an inward change. And so really what we're going to do, I have two questions, one for Cooper and then one for you guys, the church. Cooper, is it your story that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you've repented of your sin and now you want to follow him? If so say yes. And church, do you guys commit to continue to love and to serve Cooper as he continues to follow Jesus? If so, say, I do. With my Cooper, it is my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father. Here, plug your nose real quick. There you go. 
It is my pleasure to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, and raised to walk in the newness of life. Let's celebrate this together. Careful hands they hold us. His careful hands they hold us. Safe within his a calling and a destiny. A calling and a destiny. Let's stand and sing this together.
hear your voices sing this. God is faithful, amen. You know, in a few moments, we're gonna dive deep into God's word. And it's gonna be a great time to consider how the absolute sovereignty of our God intersects with his measureless love. You know, another powerful picture um, is seen in a familiar verse to many of us. Zephaniah 3.17 says this, the Lord, your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. You know, John Piper has an intriguing commentary on this verse. He says this, he says, can you imagine what it would be like if you could hear God singing? Remember that it was merely a spoken word that brought the universe into existence. What would happen if God lifted up his voice and not only spoke, but sang? And yet our God rejoices in singing over his people. You, my friend, are deeply loved by the one who made you. He sees you in this moment. He knows your joys. He sees every one of your tears. He knows what makes you laugh. And he knows what you're most afraid of. And he is well acquainted with your sorrow. And yet he purposes to quiet all the noise in your life with his love. And I, I don't know what's going on in, in your world right now, but the one who made you, he does. He does. And he invites you to come, to cast all your cares on him because 1 Peter 5, 7 assures us that he cares for us.
clear this out. Yeah. 
second, let's say thanks to this great team for leading us today. Y'all did a great job. Russell, you just hammered the theme. It's like you knew what we were going to be talking about this morning. Great job. Have you noticed how mean people have become in the last three years? Have you noticed that? Maybe you're sitting by one of them. I don't know. But, I mean, people have gotten mean. It's the sense of decorum and respect. It's like it's been tossed out the window. You just say whatever you want to say about someone. And, and the reason that people keep getting by with it is because we keep giving them a platform to do it. We buy their music. We watch their movies. We vote for them. We, we, whatever you want to say. We keep giving them the platform to do it and saying it's okay. And here's the tough part is it's probably going to continue to get worse. Because things like that usually don't get better with time. And that doesn't bode well for our children and for our grandchildren, does it? No, not at all. But in the book of Ruth, this love story that we're going to study today, we have a beautiful picture of how we are supposed to live. Because you see, our faith is more clearly expressed in the way we live than what we claim to believe. Our faith is more clearly expressed in the way we live than what we claim to believe. Can I get a nod? Yeah. And Ruth demonstrates this through the beautiful characters. As I studied the book of Ruth, I kept thinking about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. Because I kept seeing these words emerge from the book of Ruth and, and the way they live. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I get them all in there? Memorize that. Because that's how we're supposed to live. It's the fruit of God living in and through us and, and not only being expressed in our inner being, but in the lives of other people. And so I want you to look for that in the book of Ruth. We are supposed to be God's image bearers to the world. And the only way we will be his image bearers in the way that pleases him is if we are living out that fruit in our lives. Here's our big idea. God faithfully loves and cares for his own. Let's stop right there. God faithfully loves and cares for his own. And I want to change it up just a little bit for a second. And I want you to say this with me. God faithfully loves and cares for me. Say that with me. God faithfully loves and cares for me. Now you've, taught, you've proven to yourself you can say that. I want you to internalize it now. And really think about that. God faithfully Loves. No, I want you to say it. Come on. God faithfully loves and cares for me. Isn't that a great thought? Regardless of who you are or where you've come from or what you've done, God faithfully loves and cares for me. And in response to his love and care, our lives should reflect his character, the fruit of his spirit lived out. In us. 
We love a good story, don't we? Oh, we love a good story. When we were little, we'd climb up into a, a, a parent's lap or a grandparent's lap and say, tell me a story, tell me a story. My grandchildren are like that. They, they, they love to hear a good story. I'll tell them stories about when I was a little boy, and I have a, a little introduction to that that I do. And, and now they've gotten to where they can fill in the blanks of the stories. They've heard them so much. Now, they don't like my stories as well as they love their grandma's stories, but once in a while they listen to mine. We love a good story, and the book of Ruth is a beautiful, beautiful story. Naomi said, I'm going back to Bethlehem after her husband and her sons died. I'm going back home to Bethlehem. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, said, I'm going with you. Now, every story has main characters, and we have three here, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Naomi, the mother-in-law, Ruth the daughter-in-law, in every good story at some point has a crisis or a conflict, correct? It's a structure of a story. And so immediately you think, oh, we see the conflict. we got a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. They're going to have it out at some point. <laughs> but that is not what happens. There's another conflict, and we'll talk about that. And there's Boaz, a man of standing in the community, a man of character, the book of Ruth, there are four scenes, and you'll see each scene in each chapter. Scene one that you talked about last week is the background of the tragic story and their journey. And then in chapter two, scene two, we have Ruth meeting Boaz. And then in scene three, there's the encounter on the threshing floor. And scene four, you just have to wait until next week because we're going to cover scene two and scene three today. But everything about the book of Ruth, from its chiastic structure to uh, the, the underlying Hebrew phrases and meanings that we won't have time to get into all of them today, it, it is an, a, a piece of art. And scholars view it as a literary masterpiece. When I read the book of Ruth, I can't help but think about the difficult journey. Whenever I'm at the Dead Sea, I think about Naomi and Ruth. Because let me tell you about this journey they were on. They, they were in Moab, so you can see right there at the bottom of the screen in the right-hand corner on this right side, there's Moab from the descendants of Moab, the son of Lot, from an incestuous relationship. And they were at war with Israel throughout history. And then you have the little red dot. That would be Bethlehem, just right right there beside Jerusalem. And they had to travel from Moab to Bethlehem. Now, here's the deal. Moab sits at 2,500 feet, right about 2,500 feet above sea level. And Bethlehem, Jerusalem area, sits at about 2,500 feet above sea level. But in between those two, you have the Great Rift Valley. And in this particular, that runs from Lebanon all the way down to Southeast Africa. And this little section here is the lowest part. It's the Jordan Rift Valley. And it drops off like, boom, like this. And so you can see a picture. I took this picture there because I think about them crossing this desert, arid, rough, rocky region. They didn't have Merrells back then. They didn't have hiking boots. 
They had those old sandals in, or whatever they wore back then, but they had to travel that rough ground. And, and I've climbed a little bit there uh, around in Getty just to get up to the waterfall, and that's just a short space. And they had to travel 50, uh, 60 to 75 miles across this rough terrain down those hills. Somewhere across the Dead Sea region, they had to find a way across and then back up. That was a long journey. It was also a dangerous journey because there were rough characters in those days. Because you remember what it says at the end of Judges, the book right before this one. What does it say? In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. For over 300 years, we have the period of the judges where everyone was doing what they saw fit. They lived life through their own eyes, whatever they wanted to do. It's not a good way to live. I remember my son-in-law, Chris, who who is a counselor and and works with addiction. I was in his office in Denver uh, one day, and I looked around the wall there, and he had these large post-it. Uh, posters all around the wall and I looked at it and I said that's the sin cycle and he said yeah that's exactly what we deal with in addiction it's the sin cycle and and you see it repeated over and over if you've been through panorama of the bible you see that sin cycle where there's rebellion and retribution and repentance and restoration and rest over and over again that was the period of the judges when all this happened And if people were doing as they saw fit, they lived life through their own eyes and they determined what was right and wrong from their own perspective. And Proverbs 14, 12 tells us that that's a bad way to live, right? What does Proverbs 14, 12 tell us? There's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to death. We need to live our lives through God's perspective, through his word, what tells us is good and right. And appropriate. Well, it's in this dark period of history when Naomi and Ruth and Boaz paint a beautiful picture of how we are supposed to live. Ruth broke the traditions of her idolatrous people and she became a believer in the God of the Hebrews. Naomi, in the first chapter, you saw that they called her Naomi, which means pleasant. And she said, don't call me that. Call me Mara because she was bitter. But all that's about to change. Let's look in chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, can't get away from it. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said, see, they're poor. They're poor. Let me glean behind them. And and Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just by coincidence, right? The hidden hand of God. We see him moving. The hidden hand of God working through their lives. The same one that works through yours. The same one that works through yours. They were poor. 
Leviticus said that they had to provide a place for the poor. Look at it. It says, when, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. That's the exclamation point. Do it, he says. God was concerned for the poor, and I joined Sam in celebrating Samaritan Community Center moving here to our property. Our relationship's just going to continue to grow. And with that farm, we're going to be able to provide food for thousands of people in northwest Arkansas. Verse 4, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Now that tells me something about Boaz and the people he's hired. They are people of character. The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. They're all acknowledging the Lord. Character is so important. I, um, I believe the character is what we are when nobody else is looking. It's what we are in the dark. I remember when I was a kid, go to church, and um, it seemed like every sermon lasted three hours. You know, and, I, and, and I'm still fidgety, but I was really fidgety back then. Got in trouble a few times for that. But it lasted three hours. Into the preaching, the preacher would call on somebody from the congregation to pray. Remember that? And he usually called on a deacon, somebody to, to lead us in prayer. And there was one guy. If he called on this guy, I was like, Because <laughs> he prayed the longest prayers. He remembered everybody who was sick. And it was like, not like God didn't already know. He had to call their names and call their aunts and uncles' names. He would just go on and on and I would just, oh, he called on him again. Well, one day when I was a teenager, I was working for a farmer and we went to this guy's shop. And I could not believe my ears because the same guy who said those long, eloquent prayers cursed like a sailor. And it really took me back. I couldn't believe it. I was really disappointed that this guy compartmentalized his life, the life that I was being challenged to live. He compartmentalized it to live in one way on Sunday and another way throughout the week. And it probably gave me a little bit of license to go ahead and say some of those things myself. You know what I mean? But I was disappointed. I've never forgotten that. Character. Character is to be consistent throughout our lives. And that's what we see in Boaz and the people he's working for. Booker T. Washington said this about character. He said, character is power. You ever think about that? Character is not armor. It's not steel. It's not strength. I mean, power is not that. It's character. That's what gives us power, real power. The power that God recognizes. Well, Boaz in verse 5 asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She was very polite. 
She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so they don't see her as a Moabite. They didn't expect anything good from a Moabite, but they're recognizing her character. She's a hard worker. And because of her character, Boaz shows her kindness. Look at this. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled where her life was once hopeless. Now she has hope from the man who has the ability to be her guardian. Next, in verse 10, we see that Ruth's character also elicits undeserved kindness. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a a foreigner? You see, Ruth is having trouble getting out of the Moabite mode. Getting past her history of the people who warred with Israel. As a matter of fact, when she left Moab, she probably expected to come to Bethlehem and be scorned and shunned by the people because of her history. And Boaz replied, look at this now. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He said, oh, I know all about you. I've heard about you, Ruth. I heard what you've done for Naomi. This ought to really encourage us. Because God accepts her under his wings. We saw that in the book of Jonah. All those Gentiles. He was willing to let them repent and come underneath his wings. That's good news for the rest of us Gentiles. That he's got room for us. He's got room for all of us. There was a story that Donald Barnhouse used to tell. He's a preacher a long time ago. It talked about God's great love for us. He said he, when he was a kid, his, they, they lived in a prairie, and there was a prairie fire, and, and it burned down their barn, it burned down their house, it burned everything that they had. And he and his father were walking through the rubble, and his father saw a piece of what looked like tree bark on the ground, and he kicked it. And when he kicked it, little baby chicks ran everywhere. On closer examination, he looked down and it wasn't a piece of bark at all. It was a mother hen. And when the fire came, she gathered her chicks beneath her wings and protected them from the disaster. God has room for us beneath his wings. And he invites us to come. To come and find shelter there. Doesn't matter who you are, Ninevite, Moabite, whoever you are, whatever you've done, God has room for you underneath his wings. He is the God of the second chance. He is the God of starting over. Isn't that great news?
That's great news for all of us. Well, we go on in verse 13. Ruth says, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have standing as one of your servants. And in mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with all the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. It probably been a long time since she had had a meal like that. And then he let her take her grain and she went back to Naomi. And oh, we see joy here. Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Look at all this grain you have. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Or you may have heard the term kinsman redeemer. And I'm not going to develop that. I'm going to let... Whoever's teaching next week do that. It's important. Naomi is excited. Boaz is a relative and therefore a guardian, guardian of them. And so when a, a, a woman had lost her husband, the next of kin would become their guardian, redeemer. And then Ruth, the Moabite, keeps on saying, said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. And so Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. You see, when they were crossing that deserted, arid, rocky, mountainous region on their way to Bethlehem, they had no idea that the hidden hand of God was working through them and for them. And so at the beginning of this story, we see Ruth being faithful to Naomi. And now we see Naomi being faithful to Ruth. Verse 1, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Maybe Naomi is getting older and she's afraid that she'll die and Ruth will be left alone. She said, I've got to find a home for you. And so she instructs Ruth next in a Near Eastern custom that is foreign to us today. But she told her to go to the threshing floor where Boaz would be, where he would stay the night to protect his harvest from thieves. And there she was to lie down at his feet and uncover his feet. And if he awakened and saw her, she would ask him to cover her with his cloak. And this was a proposal of marriage. And if he covered her with his cloak, then that meant that he accepted her proposal. Now, there is nothing indecent about this, as some have asserted. It was just a custom in that day. And look what happened. He woke up. And he said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This is verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. 
Look what she had done. She had come to a foreign place and everybody knew this is a woman of character. Although she didn't necessarily see that in herself, others did. <coughs> Excuse me. Boaz made it a point to point out her character. Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer, here comes the crisis in the story. <coughs> Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. That's the crisis. There's somebody else. Now, Naomi's going to encourage Ruth to be patient. <coughs> Excuse me. So, verse 16 when Ruth came to her mother in law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until this matter is settled. Just watch and wait. Because this man of character, this man of standing will not rest until this is settled. You see, God faithfully loves and cares for his own. God faithfully loves and cares for his own, and he's caring for Ruth and Naomi. We see the fruit of the Spirit lived out in the lives of all three of our main characters. I want you to think about it. The inner qualities Think about each of these words. Love. How does it manifest in your life? As a matter of fact, just close your eyes and think about these words. Love. Joy. Peace. Are you at peace with God? If not, He's waiting for you to come under His wings. Patience. Are you a patient person? Do you need to let go of the rope? Kindness. Goodness. Those were characters expressed to others. And then these are marks of a Christ-filled life. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. When the qualities are evident in our life, God can do through us more than we could ever ask or imagine. We see clearly God working, His hidden hand working through the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. But do you believe that His hidden hand is also guiding your life? Or is that just for somebody else? Trust me. He's working in and through you. Just like He did them. In about five weeks, I'm going to take a group of people... <clears throat> to the edge of Jerusalem and we're going to look over a field 
in eastern Bethlehem. And it was, it was in that field that a young boy named David tended sheep. You see, they had a son. Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed, and they had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David who would call Ruth great-grandma. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <clears throat> he would call Ruth great-grandma. He would be one day called King David. He learned about, a lot about shepherding and sheep out in that field. He wrote a psalm about it, Psalm 23. About a thousand years later, there would be other shepherds working in that same field. And, and, and one night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. They were terrified. And he said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger and as we stand there on that hill overlooking those fields we'll imagine what it was like when the heavenly hosts filled the sky glorifying God but it was in those same fields that a young lady named Ruth met a fellow named Boaz and they had no idea what God was doing in and through their lives. <laughs> what an incredible story, huh? Yours is an incredible story too. Just watch God work. Oh Lord, thank you for faithfully loving and caring for each of us. And Lord, we trust your hidden hand working in and through our lives. Oh, Lord, make it ever more clear to us each day how much you love us, how faithful you are to us, and how deeply you care.
aren't you glad? You know, as we close the service, um, I've asked Scott Thompson, one of our elders, to come up with his wife, Cindy. And they are such a faithful part of our prayer team, and they're going to close us in prayer. Good morning, fellowship. We are uh, privileged to be a part of the prayer team here because uh, we believe in prayer. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe in intercessory prayer. We believe in unified prayer. And the reason we believe in prayer is because we have seen the result of prayer over and over and over again is God takes us under his wing and honors the requests that we bring before him and celebrates with us the joys that we bring before him. And uh, if you brought something in here with you tonight, a, um, today, a, a burden or something heavy on your heart or uh, something that the Holy Spirit touched you with today. Um, Cindy and I will be over here under the prayer room sign and we invite you to, to drop by and we'd be more than happy to pray with you and for you this morning. Let's bow now. Father God, we thank you so, so much for what you have done in and through and with and will continue to do in this body of believers. You've blessed us so richly. We confess our need for you, our dependence on you. And we ask you, Lord, to give us listening ears, to give us obedient hearts, and to give us a spirit of unity within the body of Christ. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.